growing up, my dad is a pastor, and so he taught me a lot of Bible stories. And as I was getting uh, older, uh, he started to introduce what I consider kind of the stories that are not the coloring book stories. And so if you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. The coloring book stories are uh, the Bible stories that you would color in Sunday school. You know, you got the Noah's Ark and all that kind of stuff. And then when I got to junior high, he, he started to introduce some stories where as I look back, I understand he was trying to put the fear of the Lord in me. It was what he was doing, all right? He was trying to scare me a little bit. And the story that we're going to be looking at today, it's in Acts 5. We've been going through the book of Acts. And uh, this was the first non-coloring book story that he taught me. And he wanted to make sure that I understood the story well because he didn't want me to turn out like, well, the people that you're going to see on the screen. So watch this. I've said it for seven years. I've said it for longer than seven years. I have never doped. I did not email any um, classified material to anyone on my email. In the interview, Mrs. West, who was famous for showing off her curves, says there's more to her than meets the eye. Quote, my soul inside is kind of modest. My closest friends know that about me. You're not known to be a humble man, but I wonder. I think I am actually humble. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. That is the most timid applause I've ever heard. Is everybody equally offended now? We good? Did we miss anybody? All right. We just want to make sure we got everybody, okay? So um, if you are upset by that video, I need to give you a trigger warning about the passage of Scripture we're looking at today. It is going to freak you out, okay? And, uh, and that's okay, because we have an issue that we want to talk about. We're in this series called Level Up. It's how to be more like Jesus, how to live a life that maybe we can learn um, about from the early church, the, the people who began the church after Christ's uh, death and resurrection and ascension, and the people that actually turned the world upside down, because they took some things in their life very serious, and because of that, they became literally world changers. And so we're going to look at them. And so today I want to look at Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 1. And if you'd like to read along, you can either on the screens or um, if you have a Bible. So here it begins at verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. In the first service, a woman right now here went, huh? 
Yep. And it goes on. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife uh, came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. My first inclination was to just read the passage, take an offering, (laughs) pronounce the benediction, and go home. As a youth pastor, when I, I was a junior high, a uh, pastor of junior high kids, and uh, I used to tell them this story frequently. <coughs> I thought they needed it. Um, so what is the deal? Is this like the most shocking story? Seriously, this is like, what? I thought God was all about love and feeling good and being nice. This is intense, right? And it's about money. Well, it's not really about money. So let's talk about this, because there's some incredible... Once you get over the shock of what happened, and I think I'll I'll tell you a little later why I think it was so harsh. Um, But once you get over the shock of that, um, what is it we're supposed to learn? By the way, one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true is because of stories like this. Now, let's think about it. You're a brand new organization called The Church. You're trying to get adherents eventually all over the world and getting people to join you. This is not a great recruiting tool. Right? If you're trying to build this new thing that's going to take over the world, you're not telling them this story. And yet, there it is. Right there. That's why I believe the Bible's true. Because there's things in there that don't help recruit to the cost. And yet, there are things that God wants us to know. So, what can we learn from this? Let me give you a little more background. In the section just before this, a guy named Barnabas, we know from the New Testament, they called him son of encouragement, had done the same thing. So in the early church, they were poor. There were people among them that were poor, couldn't eat, uh, couldn't do anything to live on. And what they did is, as the church was getting started, there was a lot of persecution. And so they would just give to each other, whoever had a need, they would share with them. And if they didn't have something on hand, they would go sell something of value and bring the money. Now, the indication, nobody made them do that. Nobody said they had it. It wasn't a requirement of membership. It was something they just did because they had compassion and love for each other and a spirit of generosity existed, okay? And so when Barnabas brought this money, he brought it and he said, here's everything. I sold it and I'm just giving you everything. Evidently, Ananias and Sapphira indicated they were doing the same thing. They weren't just giving money, they, and they didn't have to give all the money. They could have given part of the money. They could have given a little. They didn't have to give any of the money. They said, we're giving all of the money. Their issue wasn't that they didn't give enough money. The money part of it is just what is true for all of us. God doesn't need your money, but your money is a good indication of where your heart is. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so it's not about they didn't give enough money. It's about they lied. They lied to God, and they lied to the church about what they were giving. And so as we think about this, <clears throat> I think there's a couple of things that, that we need to learn. Um, let, me read a, let me read a quote uh, for you uh, from George MacDonald, a Scottish pastor in the 1800s. Half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. 
This indication of what the real issue was. Hypocrisy has to do with wearing a mask or acting like... So, uh, hypocrisy, the word comes from actor. And it's acting as if we're something that we're actually not. Okay? Uh, so uh, a guy named Warren Wiersbe, a, common, uh, a writer about scripture and pastor from uh, um, earlier uh, in, in, this, in the last century, um, with great commentary and so on, um, talks about a time when he was pastoring a little church and the building was run down and the congregation was small and they didn't have much money. They knew they needed to fix the building up so they took up as much money as they could from the congregation, as much money people would give and, and they went to an architect and said, can you help us? We know we don't have enough money to fix the whole building, to improve the whole building so we want to just build a nice facade. And the architect, who himself was a Christian, said, absolutely not. Of all places, the church should be about truth and honesty. Why would you want to pretend something by a facade that something is true that is not true? Let's use the money and fix up as much as we can of the whole thing. A facade is the same as a hypocrite. We all put on facades. We all try to act like we're more than we are. We try to present ourselves as better than we actually are. Why do we do that? What is that about? There are some indications in that about what was really wrong with Ananias and Sapphira and what happened. <coughs> so I'd like to share with you three phrases I've carried with me for many, many years. And, uh, and there are three little phrases that will help us come to grips with what they did and what we are tempted to do and, uh, and help us not do that. So the first one is, be sure your sins will find you out. Guess who I learned this from? My mom, of course. Are you kidding me? There's nobody better at instilling guilt than a mom. And by the way, I am not anti-guilt. I think guilt is fairly important. I'm anti-shame, I'm anti-condemnation, but I'm all about guilt. Because guilt is how we learn, right? My grandson hits his big sister. We confront him. He feels guilty. He should feel guilty, right? If he never feels guilty, he'll never stop doing it. And when she grows up and marries a football player, and the football player beats the snot out of him because he deserves it. Sorry, that's family stuff. Okay, never mind. But (laughs) guilt is not an awful thing. Guilt is actually a part of what gets us back on track, okay? And so it's supposed to, so that, that little, be sure your sins will find out, actually comes from Scripture. It actually comes from Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sins will find out. And, and, and we know this, right? You, you don't get away with anything because God sees everything. Eventually, there will be consequences for your actions, Here's one of, the, uh, one of my personal phrases that I kind of came to myself. God plays hardball. God plays hardball. God doesn't... So this whole idea of, of, of trying to act like we're something we're not and, and getting away with something, God, God plays hardball. God never winks at sin. He never goes, oh, that's not a big one. I'm not going to worry about it. God is absolutely just all the time. He never winks at it. And that is for our benefit. If I never confronted my grandson about hitting his sister, he would never learn right from wrong. And he would never have a great life. If I never learn right from wrong, if God's just always winking at my sin and saying, oh, it's no big deal, I will never become who God wants me to be because it requires righteousness. Be sure your sins will find out. God will play hardball with us at times and let us experience the consequences of our own sin, our own misdeeds in order to teach us wonderful thing about this is that along with my mom teaching me that, that your sins will find you out, and when they do, I will be here waiting, ready for reconciliation and forgiveness so that we can move on. 
You see, along with that message, your sins will find out, is the cross, which guarantees us forgiveness and God's grace. And so it is the beginning of a process of moving forward. You don't have to carry sin around, uh, shame around. You don't have to carry condemnation around. What you carry around is forgiveness if you'll own it. And so before you can kind of level up, you've got to own a, up to your stuff. And so what happens here is you find the consequences of some, some very wrong actions. Um, and, and, and we need to take hypocrisy seriously. So in that video clip a while ago, depending on where you are, you may have looked at someone and go, oh, that wasn't a big deal. And looked at the other and go, yeah, I'm glad they put them in there. Right? And others in the room were feeling the opposite. They were like, well, that's not a big deal. I'm glad they put them in there. Here's what's interesting about hypocrisy. We like to excuse it in the people we like, and we like to point it out in the people we don't like, and we almost never point it out in ourselves. A, poor, a part of the point of this story is that hypocrisy is a big deal. The lack of being real or being authentic or, 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 or trying to portray ourselves better than, than we know ourselves to be. If you doubt that everybody believes it's wrong, by the way, if you doubt that, um, this week in the news, there's a woman who is an early face of the Me Too movement. And now the accuser, she accused um, uh, uh, someone uh, of mistreating her, which I assume happened. And now we find out that she paid someone else who accused her of mistreating them in exactly the same way. What does that do to us? We all go, ugh, Really? And we're all going, that's disgusting, because it's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is disgusting when they do it, and it's disgusting when we do it. And it's one of the things we have to be careful to root out in our own lives. We have to call it what it is and root it out. And that's a part of the point of this story. Listen to this. Um, because somehow you think that it's not a serious matter, uh, you're wrong. By the way, let me, let me, just, let me give you another illustration. Just, so, um, um, pastors... We seem especially upset when men of God, men and women of God, are exposed um, for hypocrisy. I'm back in the 80s, and many of you are too young to remember it, but I'll tell you about it. Back in the 80s, there was these guys, these guys on TV called uh, TV Evangelists, okay? And TV Evangelists had all kinds of different messages, usually making you feel bad about yourself. But if you sent them money, you'd get better. And uh, and that was kind of their shtick, okay? And and I'm you know, I was never particularly fond of them. Um, and, and within a fairly short period of time, almost all of them fell prey to moral scandal. In other words, their own misdeeds. And they weren't just like little slip-ups. They were like major misrepresentations of who they are and how they were living. And it just collapsed in on them. And it was exposed to everybody what frauds they were, what hypocrites they were. And I remember thinking as a young pastor at the time, going, oh, this is awful. This is, this is going to reflect badly on, on our religion, on our churches, on God himself. Why would God let this happen, that they would be exposed? And then in Scripture and, and reading Scripture and in prayer, it dawned on me, it was God who ultimately wanted them exposed. God need, didn't need them to protect his reputation. God is who he is. He's not too worried about his reputation. And what he is is he's just, and he won't wink at their sin or your sin or my sin. It was God who wants them exposed for their own redemption in the end, probably. So God never plays games with our sin. It's because it is hindering us. It is holding us back. Listen to this passage in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. That's harsh, isn't it? But God feels pretty strongly about this. 
So let's look at Ananias and Sapphira. What, what is their deal? So be sure you're going to find out what was their sin. Their sin was not not giving enough money. It was something else. So, so Peter at one point says something to them that, that kind of identifies. And in essence, he says this. He said, what is it that was so important to you that you would lie to God and to us for that thing? Their sin wasn't about the money. They had a love of money. That was part of the issue because they kept part of it. But the bigger issue, something else was more important to them than God. What was it? You see, the very first of the Big Ten rules, right, is there shall be no other gods before me. <laughs> and anything that's more important to God, anything that you choose over doing what God wants you to do is called an idol. <laughs> and so they had some idol in their life. There was something in their life more important than God. What was it? You're saying, well, that's, I, I, don't, I don't have that. Really? Don't you have that? Anytime you choose to be disobedient, you are choosing some other God. Something else, in that moment at least, has become more important to you than God, being obedient to God, living like the way God wants you to live it. So, what was there? I want to suggest to you, well, remember, before I tell you that the answer that I think is the case, is in the end of chapter 4 of Acts, Barnabas brought forward this gift and gave the whole thing. I think their sin was a lust for recognition. They also had a love of money. That's why they kept some back. But why wouldn't they just say, hey, I'm giving half of this. I'm giving part of this. I'm giving a little bit of this property. I saw I'm going to give a little money to the needy and the poor. Why would they claim to give it all? Because they wanted recognition. They saw how Barnabas was treated, and they wanted to be treated like that. They wanted to be seen a certain way, as generous, as compassionate, as caring. But in reality, they weren't. So let me just let me strengthen my case on that one. It, they lived in a time when uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were all about appearing very pious, right? Their whole deal was they wanted to appear very pious, very holy, very together. Matter of fact, Jesus even taught about that. Check this out in Matthew 6, 1. Watch this. This is Jesus talking. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites, there's our word, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So it is possible that Ananias and Sapphira had bought into this, this mindset of the religious leaders which said, it, I, I, it's not so important to be pious as it is to look pious. It's not so important to be holy as it is to look holy. And they just carried this over in to this new experience of the church. What they had done is they bought into a lie. They had bought into a lie. And the lie was what you look like is more important than who you actually are. Let me read, let me read a quote for you. I, I found this quote this week, and if I could spot it. Here it is. By, it's by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. So all of our misdeeds and misunderstandings start out with a lie that we bought into. So what are you talking about? Well, we, like they, were surrounded in a religious culture of these religious types who just said looking good is more important than being good. And they just carried that over. 
we carry a lot of the world's lies into our relationship with God. Well, so who's lying to me? Everybody. Popular culture, every song you hear just about, every commercial you see, there is a lie. It's usually hidden very well behind beautiful people with nice smiles. But there's a lie. If you buy this car, your marriage will get better because you go camping, just the two of you. Camping never makes your marriage better. I don't know if you know that, but it's absolutely true. So we are, from a very early age, inculcated with lies. Well, what kind of lies? Lies about what makes life worthwhile. Fame, fortune, that's how you live a best life. Really, how's that turned out for those people? It's a lie. We even know it's a lie on some level, but we still seek after those things. Lies about what's, what's, what's most important. Well, i got to get my kids in the right school and do the right things because I want to look good. Oh, I would never admit that out loud, but let's be honest. Right? We are so susceptible to lies. And they had bought into a lie. A lie that caused them to be disobedient to God. A lie that cost them their lives. So my first phrase, if you, if you remember that far back, is be sure your sins will find you out. My second phrase is pride cometh before a fall. Somehow they thought that the lie was better than the truth, that you'd be obedient to God and you do what God prompts you, but the lie was better, and so pride, they thought they knew better. Pride got in there. Pride that they knew better. But it's the same lie as the Garden of Eden. What was the lie? The lie was to Eve. If you eat this fruit, you're going to be like God. It was a lie. It was about pride. Every misdeed we do begins with a lie. So what was their sin? Their sin was they thought they knew better, and they thought being recognized that appearance was more important than character. Appearance was more important than being obedient to God. Acting like they were generous is more important than actually being generous. Now, I have, a, I have a little freebie for us here. So uh, if their, their major sin was thinking that recognition was the thing that was going to make life really work, um, I, have a, I have a little theory here. So this isn't in the Bible. This is first chapter of Doyle, and, uh, and you don't have to take it or even listen to it. But uh, many years ago, somebody taught me, and I honestly can't remember who it was, or I read it, I don't know. And I've talked about it before, I think, is that we, there are three primary motivations in life. There's a fourth possibility, but there are three primary motivations we have in life. They're not good, they're not bad. It's just something, um, you know, psychologists and people who study this stuff have, have recognized. It may or may not be completely true, I don't know, but it was interesting. And here are the three that they suggest. They suggest that there are three motivations that move us forward in life, that give us drive. Um, the first one is the need for recognition. So some people do things so that, so for example, if you would love to just stand up and, and get a applauded by your peers for what you just finished at work, then you may have a drive of the need for recognition. It's not a bad thing. It's fine. It's okay. Uh, some people are driven by the need for power. They don't care if they ever get recognized, but they want to know for themselves that they can pull the strings and make things happen. And that could be good. Let's say a, a person um, uh, is in a position where they can, I, and this happened to me a number of years ago, that I had a friend who, who was an alcoholic and had finally hit bottom, and they came to me and said, what, what do I need to do? And I introduced him to another friend who had 16 years of sobriety, and I got them together. Later, they gave me their 10-year chip. That was a position of power, if you will. Nobody ever knew I did that. I just told you, lost my rewards. But anyway... But that was the ability, to, that's kind of a power position to be in, to have the ability to connect things, make them happen. It could be for good, right? So recognition, um, power, or achievement. 
If your thing is, I like to stand back at the end of the day and see that I did something, I look at that thing. I built this monument. I built this house. I built whatever this thing is. Then it might be achievement. All those things are fine. They're not negative. I know, I know which one I am. I know which one each of my staff is. We've talked about it. It's okay. Those are perfectly normal things that help move us forward, help us see life in a different way and move forward in a different way. But what if that thing that helps us becomes the thing? Do you follow me? Whereas the, the, the desire for recognition helps us do good things, what if it becomes the thing that our whole soul desire in life is to be recognized? Right? Or our whole desire in life. You've met people who just were power hungry. They would do anything for more power. They would step on people all over the corporate ladder to get more power. What happens when that thing that could have been good and just a part of who we are becomes the thing? Right? Look at this. In Acts 5.3, I want you to point out what Peter says. Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Heart can also mean mind. It's going to fill your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. What has so consumed you? What are you so obsessed with? What do you think about all the time? So much so that you've lost all perspective. What in the world could be so important you'd lie to God? Lying to God rarely works. Okay, absolutely never works. What were you so consumed with that you, and a part of of what we need to learn here is that when we believe a lie, a lie about the point of life, a lie about the real narrative of life, a lie about what might make us happy, what's going to make us fulfilled, when we believe a lie, we start to be obsessed with it. Because once you get a little taste of recognition and it feels good, you think a whole lot more of that is going to fill you up. But the problem is, it's a bottomless pit. You can never get enough recognition. You can never get enough power. You can never get enough achievement. You can't get there. And so you try harder and harder, and finally you find yourself just like an addiction to a drug, stealing from your parents, doing things, lying to the Holy Spirit, things you never believed you would do that make no sense because you're addicted to this thing. Your heart, your mind is obsessed and filled with this thing. Would you like to know what the fourth possibility is for motivation? It rarely happens, almost never, according to uh, where I learned this. Love. But love, as a Christian, might be the right one. Even as we exercise one of the other three that we have naturally, if it is, if it is subsumed by, it is underneath a drive to love. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Did they give this money because they loved God? Did they live this, give this money because they were compassionate for the needy? No, they were consumed with the need for recognition. Anything that becomes more important than our love for God is an idol. And it has to come down. And anytime we think we know better than God, it's pride. And it will come down. Pride cometh before a fall. My dad called me up about a year ago. And, uh, and, and at their church, he's the he announcement guy. He's the announcement guy. He gets up to the church. He does the announcements, you know, he did. And, uh, and so he called me up and he said, I got to tell you a funny story. It happened yesterday. It was on a Monday. He said, at church, I was doing announcements. I'm like, yeah, always. And he said, oh, I was having a good day. I was, I was passionate. And I was doing good announcements. I was really doing good. And I'm thinking, this doesn't sound like my dad. He said, no, I was good. Some of the best announcements I've ever done, I got to be honest with you. I'm like, Really? okay. And I knew he was leading me somewhere, but I wasn't sure where. He goes, yeah. And then I turned around to leave and I uh, tripped over a mic cord and fell flat on my face. (laughs) He says, it turns out that scripture is true. I was feeling a little too good about my announcements, I guess. 
when we begin to think that we know better than God, that our plan is better than God's plan, our lust for recognition or power or, or achievement gets in front of our desire to love and obey God, we are headed for a fall. And the last phrase. So first, be sure your sins are finding out. Second, pride comes before fall. And the last phrase is this. Keep the core pure. This doesn't come from Scripture. It doesn't even come from my mom. It comes from my pastor. The last night we were there before we moved to California to start uh, Seacoast, uh, my pastor said, Doyle, I just want you to remember this, keep the core pure. Now what's interesting, on the subsequent very long drive to California, I began to think about what he had said. And it was one of those things that at first I thought he knew what he meant and then I began to think about it. He didn't say whether he was talking to me personally or he was talking to me about our congregation that we were going to build. And I've since come to believe he meant both. Keep the core pure. Why, why such a harsh consequence for something that we all struggle with? Why such a harsh consequence in this situation with hypocrisy? We all struggle with it. So think about it this way. It's one possible explanation. God is creating this new thing called the church, and it is going to, in the next 100, 200, 300 years, 2,000 years, change the world. Millions will be impacted by it. And he wasn't going to allow the foundations of that organization, that organism, that movement to be tainted by some people who had impure motives. And he wanted to not only not have them have impure motives, he wanted to point out to the rest of us, watch yourselves. It doesn't say that God killed them, by the way. It doesn't say whether God killed them or they had a heart attack because they realized what they'd done. We don't know. We know they're dead. That's the bottom line. They died. Here's the warning. Watch yourself. Keep the core pure in your own life. This is so hard. This is so hard to do. By the way, we all mess up. All of us fail to live up to what we aspire to be and what we know God wants us to be. But when you begin to intentionally deceive about that truth, now you're a hypocrite. It's not that we struggle. We all struggle. I struggle. You struggle. I'm honest about the fact that I struggle. When we stop being honest and we start to try to pretend and convince people that we don't struggle, that we don't fall short, that we don't mess up, we try to project something that we're not, that's hypocrisy. And that's when it becomes dangerous. And God will not allow that for our benefit and for those around us. <coughs> Excuse me. Seek first His kingdom, Matthew six thirty three, and His righteousness and all of these things, all of these other things will be given to you as well. We have to be careful ourselves because hypocrisy, it's like cancer. And when they remove cancer, they don't remove a little bit of it. They don't remove the obvious part, the part you can see with the naked eye. They go in and they get every single cell. And if we're going to be authentic, we're going to be real and not hypocritical, we need to go in and dig out every single cancerous cell of hypocrisy in our lives. And you have them because I have them. I'll give you an example. This week, I was with a bunch of guys I meet with every week, and I was telling a story about a time before I knew most of these guys. And it was a conflict that I was involved in, but one of the guys was right there with me in that conflict. And I found myself telling the story, and I kept saying, I said, now, Mark, keep me honest on this, and I'd tell the story. Three times I said, now, Mark, keep me honest on this. And at first, you think, well, you're just adding the authenticity of your story. No, I know myself. I realized later the reason I said that three times, I know myself. I have this incredible propensity for trying to make myself look better than I actually am. And when I subconsciously said, no, Mark, keep me honest, I was saying, I know I'll lie about this, given a chance. 
you're laughing because I alone struggle with this or because you had the same breakfast I did on Friday. We have to be, God wanted to point out that hypocrisy is serious business and we dare not play with it any more than we'd play with cancer. We need to be serious about it. We need to dig it out and we need to deal with it. And uh, my recommendation is this, because God's grace is so incredible. All we've got to do is expose it to the light of God's love and to the eyes of another Christian. Just praying about it alone is not enough. You got to get it in front of somebody else who can hold you accountable, who can encourage you, who can walk you through whatever that thing is. Because as long as you keep it in secret, it's cancer. When you break it open and you let God's love begin to heal it and his grace begin to, to change you and you share it with another believer, then it begins to diminish in its power and its ability to control you and its ability to destroy you. Yes, this is a harsh story. But I think it's a story we can learn from. It's a story about being authentic, about not being hypocrites. Uh, the band's going to come out, and you guys come on out, and the singers, and they're going to sing a song. And this song is a, a song that I picked because when I think about my propensity for hypocrisy, for being something different in private than I am in public, my propensity for wanting to project a certain image, my inclination to try to act like I've got it together when I don't. It is overwhelming to think about changing that by myself. And at the end of the day, I came to this. Lord, I need your help. I can't change me. Lord, I need your help. And every time I do it, please send alarm bells off in my brain so loud. Make it so obvious. And then send your Holy Spirit to give me the power to be different going forward. At the end of the day, my only hope for being authentic is turning to Jesus as my friend, as my healer, my savior, my redeemer every day. That's the only way it's ever going to happen. Otherwise, I'm going to keep faking it. I'm going to keep projecting stuff just like all of us. At the end of the day, we call out to Jesus, maybe a little bit in desperation, and ask for him to help us get our priorities straight and our life on track. These guys are going to sing a song about it. I want to pray first. Lord God, I thank you so much that you love us just the way we are and that we don't have to stay this way. And Lord, far from feeling condemned about who I am, I feel some guilt about some things I've said and some things I've tried to project. And yet I also experience your grace and your forgiveness and the hope that you're going to move me forward and I'm going to grow. So today, with a mindset of growth, we call out to you, Jesus, and we say, come, change our hearts, change our minds, make us true, make us pure inside and out. In Jesus' name, amen.
Just give me Jesus. Take all my pride, my dreams, my plans. This house I build on troubled sand. If I gained the world, it would never be. It could never be enough. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. There's nothing I desire that can't be found in you. You're everything that I've ever needed. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. All of my searching, trying to be perfect. All the fears, all the lies I believed in. All I've been chasing, putting my faith in. Let it fade, let it fall into pieces. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus, oh, oh. there's nothing I desire that can't be found in you, you're everything that I've ever needed, just give me Jesus, just give me Jesus, there's nothing I desire that can't be found in you. You're everything that I've ever needed. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus.